Hi friends. How does brokenness fit with wholeness in Christ? Are these contradictory or might they actually be explained as a paradox that unlocks the door to experiencing God's grace and transformative work in our lives? On today's episode, I'm flying solo to help unpack this amazing paradox between brokenness and wholeness. I'll share three types of brokenness and three contexts for wholeness and how it all fits together on our journey of transformation in Christ. You may download today's outline at bebroken.org paradox. For even more resources, visit bebroken.org or check out links in today's show notes. And please rate and review the podcast after you listen because this really does help others to find it. Pure Sex Radio is produced by Be Broken Ministries. Be Broken's mission is to help men, women, and families move from sexual brokenness to wholeness in Christ and equip others to do the same. Now, let's get to unpacking this paradox. Well, hi there, friends. I'm so glad that you've joined us today for this episode. You know, this is going to be a little bit different. I'm, uh, I'm flying solo today, and I hope that doesn't mean you're going to uh, turn this off or choose a different podcast, because I think what we're going to be talking about today is really going to be helpful to understanding how does brokenness fit with wholeness in Christ. Uh, you see, in our ministry, Be Broken Ministries, our our mission statement says that we exist to help men, women, and families move from sexual brokenness to wholeness in Christ and equip others to do the same. And so one of the questions that we get all the time is, okay, now wait a second. Y- your name is Be Broken Ministries. Like, how does that work? How, how, is, how can you reconcile brokenness with wholeness. And that's exactly what we're going to talk about today. And the way I want to kind of lay this out is just first by kind of giving a definition of brokenness and, and several aspects of what that can mean to the, to the Christian's experience of life. And then what is wholeness in Christ? And then trying to help you understand how these things fit together as we are journeying to uh, go from sexual brokenness to wholeness in Christ. And hopefully then just a final word of encouragement that, you know, your brokenness doesn't define you. It, it does not have to hinder you. In fact, hopefully by the end of our uh, episode here today, you will realize that it is through your brokenness that God is actually going to do his transforming work. So let's dive in. What is brokenness? Well, I mean, Simply put, brokenness is when something is fractured or damaged, it's out of alignment, it's weak, it's frail, it's in need of repair. That's when we would consider something to be broken. There's three aspects of brokenness that I want to kind of highlight here to help us understand what this means. First, there's what we typically think of in the most common aspect of brokenness, and that is the brokenness of sin. So, and sin is any kind of violation of God's design or will. It's a choosing of my way over his way. And so this is usually the most common way in which we think of brokenness. We think of brokenness in our sin. We think of brokenness in our sexual acting out or in the behaviors and even the thoughts that are outside of God's design for us. And that's just the way sin works. All sin will ultimately lead to a kind of brokenness or a distortion of the truth. And it it really fractures the harmony that God intended for his image bearers. We were not meant to be fractured within ourselves, and we were not meant to be fractured in our relationships with each other. And sin 
creates and brings all of those kinds of fractures and divisions. And by the way, in this in this episode too, I'm going to be sharing a lot of Bible verses just so you can kind of understand where is the underpinning that I'm getting for this biblically, because these aren't my ideas. These come from scripture. We reread in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 20, it says, Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. So there's a sense in which, you know what? There is not a single human being that does not have the brokenness of sin as part of their experience in life. We've all been fractured in some way by sin. And Galatians 5 tells us what the with the outcoming or the manifestations of this kind of brokenness can look like. It tells us in Galatians 5, 19 to 21, it says, Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of rage, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envious, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I mean, it's almost like the Apostle Paul was just saying, there's no possible way I could create an entire list of these because there's so many ways in which the brokenness of sin divides and fractures and spoils our lives. But you know what? That's that's not the only kind of brokenness that we experience in our lives, even as Christians, those who seek to follow Christ. Because you know what? There's also the brokenness of repentance. Now, repentance is a change of mind that is rooted in remorse over sin. So to, to repent really means you're bringing about a positive redirection as you reflect on your sin and the sovereign grace of God. One of the most, maybe you could say one of the most famous uh, places in the Word of God that illustrates this idea of the brokenness of repentance is in is in David's incredible psalm of confession and repentance in Psalm 51. And kind of the the pinnacle of that psalm is actually verse 17 and that's that's actually where the name Be Broken Ministries is rooted. Psalm 51:17 says, "The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God." you will not despise, or it says you cannot refuse or reject. Think about that. There is a brokenness of repentance that is actually bringing our our brokenness over our reflection and remorse regarding our sin and saying, God, when that brokenness weighs on my heart, it's like a magnet to his grace. It's a magnet to his being. He cannot refuse or reject a heart that has been weighed down and broken in repentance that says, I am seeing the the sin for what it is. I am broken over it. And I want to make a change as a result of that repentance. In the New Testament, um, there was this church in Corinth that um, Paul had established, the Apostle Paul had established. And let's just say this church had all kinds of problems. In fact, if you really want to get a look at what a lot of the problems that are going on in the modern church, just look at Corinth because there's all kinds of sexual brokenness and division and sexual sin in that church. And so Paul sent this first letter to them, man, he's really 
in some ways he's kind of coming down hard and he's really saying these man we straighten up you know and he's doing this in love because he's like you know you're you're a reflection of Christ and and you're meant for so much more and your lives are meant to be uh in Christ and a reflection of him so then when he sent his second letter to them he he talks about how he's so he's so proud of how they have responded and even even if what he said hurt he said it was for your good and in second corinthians chapter 7 verse 10 he says for godly grief or godly sorrow produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly sorrow or worldly grief produces death. What he's saying is when you have a godly sorrow, when, when you see the brokenness of your sin for what it is, and there is a brokenness that comes into your heart that produces repentance, a grief, a sorrow there that says, I'm not just sorry for getting caught. I'm not just sorry for, you know, the the consequences of what's happened as a result of my sin, I'm actually sorrowful in a godly way. I'm sorrowful in the way that God sees sin. When that captures your heart and that weight comes in, he said that is a godly grief that produces repentance. And notice what it says. It leads not only to salvation or freedom, but it leads there without regret. There's a sense in which you're truly set free through that kind of godly grief and sorrow. So we have the brokenness of sin. We also have the brokenness of repentance. And then guess what? Did you know we have the brokenness of transformation? Transformation is the sanctifying work that God does in our lives. It's the ongoing work of him conforming us to the image of Christ. That's the whole purpose for which he saves us. He saves us to actually make us into the image of his son, who is the one who ultimately set us free. And most often, here's the thing that a lot of Christians miss, and that's one of the reasons why we want to have the name Be Broken, we want to keep that highlighted, is because most often God actually chooses to do this work of transformation through our brokenness, not by removing it. And what I mean by that is I'm not saying that he, uh, he keeps us in sin. What I'm saying is he's going to often do this refining and transforming work through the very weaknesses that we have in our being through potentially it could be the brokenness of our sin, but it could also be the weakness in our bodies, the, the, the lack of control we have over our circumstances. There's many things that God will use that are actually part of brokenness, but he's using those things to transform us. You know, I think of the passage in 2 Corinthians 12, where Paul is talking about this incredible experience that he had, where, you know, God took him up to heaven and was revealing all these things. And But it said so that he wouldn't become conceited and all these amazing revelations. He was given this thorn in the flesh. And he pleaded with God three times, God, take this away, take this away. And God said, no. And this is what uh, Christ said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. So then Paul responded by saying, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Do you see that? 
Do you see the brokenness of transformation there? That even, even, even God in his sovereignty was saying, I don't want pride to rise up in this servant of mine who I've shown these great revelations. So in order to prevent that, God himself gave him some kind of uh, thorn in his flesh, something in his body that was a weakness. And Paul didn't like it. It was uncomfortable. It was painful. And yet God said, it's okay. It's okay. By you bearing that, you're going to have a greater experience of my power and my grace in your life than if you never had that. Because if you didn't have that weakness, if you didn't have that brokenness in your life, you might be prone to being filled with pride. And because I don't want that to happen, I'm going to allow something that is actually a burden in your life, actually something that is painful in order to transform you. That's a hard truth for us to to grasp, right? I mean, sometimes I think that's very difficult for us to embrace because let's be honest, we don't like pain, right? And yet God in his sovereignty knows what's ultimately best for us. And for those of us who may especially be prone to pride, he, he's going to bring things in our life that are going to say, I, I really want to build the kind of character in you that is looking like Jesus. And in order to do that, there's going to be some pain that has to come. So that's just a quick overview of kind of brokenness. And we've got the brokenness of sin, of repentance, and of transformation. So in, in a sense, there's only one of those aspects of brokenness that really is uh, you know a negative. That's the brokenness of sin. The brokenness of repentance is great because you know what? Again, God says he cannot reject a heart that has been broken over its sin. And also the brokenness of transformation. The idea that when we will recognize that all those weaknesses, those frailties, those things that maybe we would rather not have in our lives, but by God's sovereignty is saying, I want that to remain because I want the character to be developed in your life. That's a good aspect to brokenness. But now we want to shift and say, okay, what is what is wholeness in Christ? Because we're talking about moving from brokenness to wholeness, and, and we're not necessarily leaving brokenness behind. We'll see that in a minute. But what is wholeness in Christ? And wholeness is really just the process of forming unity or, or harmony. It's the state of being undamaged or in alignment. So we're going to look at what wholeness means, this idea of wholeness in Christ, as wholeness in mind, wholeness in character, and then wholeness in action. These are the key elements of what does it mean to actually be whole in Christ and, and to live that out and to be in that process of forming unity and, and harmony. So first, wholeness in mind. God really made us to reflect his image in our thoughts. Uh, We're to grow and mature in knowledge of his word. You know, when Jesus was uh, having his ministry and he was was teaching and he was preaching, um, there was an instance in John chapter 8 when there were Jews who then believed in him. And Jesus said this in John 8, 31 and 32. So Jesus said to the Jews who believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Wholeness in mind is this idea of knowing the word. And and there's there's an aspect of that that is, we've got the written word, right? But I think what Jesus was actually saying even more than that is, if you abide in my word, 
Jesus was saying, my word. Now, all the written word is Jesus's words because he is God. But also there's a sense in abiding in the living word, Jesus Christ. Then you're truly his disciples. And in that, then you will know the truth. Will you know the truth is just some kind of abstract information? No, you will know the truth as a person, the person of Jesus Christ. And the truth, Jesus Christ, will set you free. We need to have our minds totally captured by the Word of God, both the written Word and the living Word of God. We're also told about this idea of wholeness in mind in Romans 12. Romans 12, 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. We need to be renewed in our minds so that as we are going through life, we may be able to understand and see the will of God for our lives and be able to see how good and acceptable and perfect that is, even in the midst of trying circumstances, even in the midst of a potential thorn in the flesh. We can see, okay, you know what? I'm being transformed by the renewal of my mind. My mind is being captured by the word. My mind is being shaped by the word of God, not by the influences of culture, not by the voices on social media, not by anything else. My mind, my mind is becoming whole as the word of God penetrates deep into my soul and into my heart. But we also need wholeness and character. God made us to reflect his image in our character. We are to grow and mature in exhibiting his holy attributes. And Galatians 5 is a great place to go to get kind of a, just a short little synopsis, little sort of overview. Or what, what are these attributes actually that we are to be growing in, in terms of the character that is meant to be fu- uh, filling our lives as we become whole in Christ? Galatians 5, and 23 say this, but the fruit of the Spirit, in other words, what is manifesting and growing out of the Spirit of God dwelling in your life is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And then it states, against such things there is no law. The character that God wants to build in us simply can't be legislated. It, It transcends law because it is born out of the personal indwelling Holy Spirit, the very Spirit of Christ in us that is going to produce these incredible characteristics. You know, as I look at that that list there, one thing I think is important to, to note here when we talk about the fruit of the Spirit being manifest and the character that is, is born out in this is that those are not separated from each other. It doesn't say the fruits, plural, fruit, singular. All of these things are part of the Spirit of God bearing these out in the same way that there is no division in the Godhead. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are perfectly united and are one. Therefore, the characteristics, the the character of God, the love, joy, peace, patience, all of those things that he's going to produce are going to be produced as a whole, a whole unit. In other words, you can't separate love from gentleness, or you can't separate self-control from joy or kindness from faithfulness. You can't separate these things. 
They're all part of what the, what the fruit is that God is trying to produce in us. That's why there's a wholeness to it. In other words, you can't, um, you can't really be experiencing the growth of the fruit in your life and say that I can love, but be joyless. It's like, sorry, that's not the way the fruit manifests. Now, I'm not saying that we exhibit these types of characteristics of the fruit perfectly and evenly in our lives, but the way the Spirit brings them, He's bringing them as a whole. This is meant to show the wholeness of the person and character of God, and that is the fruit. Also, we're told in terms of this idea of wholeness in character, in 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter says this, he says, you know, as obedient children, don't be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. God wants to build wholeness in our character as he sets us apart for his purposes. He's saying, listen, don't be conformed to those old ways of ignorance, those old ways of sin, the old ways of just doing it your way and ignoring the law and the truth and the grace of God. No, because he who called you is holy, you're meant to reflect him. Go on a mission of reflecting him in his holiness and in his goodness and in his righteousness and in his love. And that will produce the wholeness of character that we are meant to have in Christ. And finally, this idea of, of wholeness in Christ is really also about wholeness in our actions because God made us to reflect his image in our actions. We're to grow and mature in doing his will. Jesus said it this way to his disciples and by extension to those of us who have placed our faith in him. In John 14, 15, he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. He's saying there can't be a distinction between affection and action. In the kingdom of God, Jesus is saying, if you love me, if you are saying that you are committed to me, if you are expressing uh, you know, affection for me, if you are, you know, expressing a covenant to me and saying, I will follow you, Jesus. I, I love you. He's saying, you got to do what I say. There's not a disconnect between affection and actions. And so therefore wholeness in Christ means that we are not just, uh, we don't just have wholeness in our minds and not just wholeness in our character, but actually how are we living that out? Are we obeying the commands of Jesus as an expression of our true love for him. Also, James puts it this way uh, in James chapter two, he says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith, but does not have works, can that faith save him? Or can that faith actually manifest the freedom that he has in Christ? And he says, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body. What good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. This is talking about what does it really mean to manifest faith in your daily life? And it has to include doing the Word of God, not just hearing it. James also talked about that in, in, in chapter 1. 
Don't be just a hearer and not a doer. You've got to connect these things. Jesus was saying the same thing. We said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. James is just reiterating that in terms of saying, if you say faith, if you say that you are you know, a follower of Jesus, but none of your actions are actually lining up with what he has commanded us to do, then you're lying to yourself and you're lying to others. So let's let's see how we, how we may be able to put all this together. So how then does brokenness fit with wholeness in Christ? I think one of the key things to remember in all of this is that grace is the heart of the gospel. See, sometimes we want to get we want to swing wildly to one or the other. We want to say, man, I'm really going to focus all my brokenness. And all of a sudden, then there's a sense of shame or I'm never going to measure up. I just can't seem to, you know, um, to make it. And and the grace of God needs to meet us there and say, hey, listen, it, it was never by your own effort that you were ever going to earn salvation or ever going to earn the favor that God had just freely given to you. So can you receive the grace of the gospel that says your sins, past, present, and future have all been covered by the blood of Jesus. There is nothing that you could ever do to make God love you any less or any more. It's a perfect love. But then there are those that want to, you know, man, highlight all of the things that must be done in order to reflect Christ, right? And very quickly, without even realizing it, a lot of times a new kind of pride can come up where now I'm going to become this great little Pharisee. I mean, I've got all the actions together. I, I'm, you know, I'm keeping all the commandments. I'm doing all this, but I'm, I'm not really manifesting the fruit of the spirit because usually in, in those cases, when I'm really highlighting all the law and all the things that I need to do, joy is just leaving the building. Peace is leaving the building. Love is certainly taking a hike. Guess what? We need to remember the grace of God applies to the Pharisee too. We need the grace of God to say, again, it's not by your effort. So don't drown in the shame of your sin and don't rejoice in the self-righteousness of your good deeds. It all needs to be about grace. The way that brokenness fits with wholeness in Christ is in our sin, we are thankful for the grace of God, that he has paid the full penalty for our sin. When we start to go down the, the path of self-righteousness, thinking that by checking all the boxes and doing all my good deeds, somehow I'm earning favor with God, we need to remember it's only by the grace of God that I have been invited into his kingdom and his family, and he's extended that salvation to me. We also need to recognize that the way that brokenness fits with wholeness is that faith matures through trials of weakness. You know, I think when I think back on my own life to this point, the, the most profound strengthening points of my faith have not been when all the waters were smooth or when everything was going well. The real growth points of my faith, of me submitting and fully trusting and really being um, uh, surrendered to Jesus have actually been in those moments and seasons of great weakness, great trials, uh, great brokenness. And so we need to recognize that our faith matures through trials of weakness. And so rather than trying to constantly 
make our lives comfortable and make our lives smooth? What if we opened ourselves up and said, Lord, like Paul, I want to rest in the sufficiency of your grace and say, I will boast of my weaknesses, insults, calamities, all that are not going to be a bother to me because when I'm weak, then I'm strong. I want to grow like that. And that's a new way of seeing how we grow in our wholeness in Christ is by opening ourselves up to all the many difficulties and trials and weaknesses that come our way. Also, we need to recognize that righteousness increases in proportion to humility. Jesus was our prime example of what it really means to humble oneself and be in complete submission to the Father. Philippians 2 tells us about that, that Jesus was the perfect example of humility, who even though he's God, didn't use that as a way to prop himself up, but instead he humbled himself, became put on flesh, became a man, and then went to the ultimate humiliation of actually laying down his life for our sin, laying has, down his life for our sexual brokenness and sexual failures. That is humility. And the Bible says, therefore, he has been exalted to the right hand of the Father and sits on the throne. So our righteousness, the, the right living that we are to exhibit is not going to come by simply self-effort or just a stronger will. It's actually going to come through humility. You know, one of the things I was just mentioning to my uh, support group I lead at my church the other, the other night was I was saying, you know, it's fascinating to me how the longer that I, that I live with Jesus and, and follow Jesus, uh, the more I actually grow in maybe holy behavior, I'm simultaneously growing in understanding and getting a new view of how deep and dark my sinfulness really is. It's kind of this weird paradox that happens. It's like, actually, as our, as our character and our behavior and all those things are maturing and we are starting to look more like Christ, we're also getting a much clearer view of just how black and broken and dark our, our hearts can be. And, and that's actually a good thing because that's how brokenness fits with wholeness in Christ. We're not, we're not ignoring the reality that we still struggle with sin. We still have temptations. We still have trials that come in our lives that are heavy. But as we saw in Psalm 51, we need to keep that attitude uh, before God of a broken and contrite heart. Because that's the kind of heart that God says, I won't reject that. I can't refuse that. I'm drawn to such a heart. So the more we actually even recognize our sinfulness and our brokenness, and we humble ourselves before God, the beauty is that we are actually then growing in righteousness. And finally, I think it's very important to remember that as we think about how brokenness fits with wholeness in Christ is actually that joy flourishes when we point others to Jesus. You know, it's interesting. I think some so many people that we work with in this ministry who then start to, to feel like God's call in their life to then help others, so many times they they feel like, well, I, but I need, I, I, I got to get to this certain point, or I, I don't think I'll be ready until I've gotten this sort of area of my life kind of all wrapped up. And I always tell them, I'm like, if that's your philosophy, then guess what? You're never going to reach out to anybody. You're never going to minister to anybody. Guys, I've been doing this ministry as a vocation for 20 years. I don't have it all wrapped up. I'm not coming before you as somebody who's got, got it all perfectly figured out. And I can say, okay, that whole area of my life is completely, you know, under control now. 
It's like, my goodness, what did I just say? The, the longer I walk with Jesus, the more I recognize just how broken I am. But here's the thing. As we, again, highlight the gospel and the grace that we've been given through Jesus Christ, you start to become more confident, not in your abilities or your righteousness, but you become more confident in his. You become more confident in his completed work, the satisfactory work that he did on the cross. And therefore, your joy increases as you say, can I tell you about this Jesus? Can I tell you about the one who's absolutely set me free in ways that I didn't think were possible? Oh yeah, I'm still in process. I'm still on the journey. But man, let me tell you about what he has done and he can do the same for you. And so I hope this has been a, a helpful talk, maybe just for you to get an understanding of what brokenness is, what is wholeness in Christ? How do these things fit together as you journey? And I want to just wrap this up by saying that your brokenness doesn't define your identity. But by the grace of God, it can be used to transform you. In other words, God can actually use your brokenness to make you whole in Christ. This may seem like a contradiction. I would rather call it a paradox. How God can use brokenness to make you whole. Will you believe him and trust him in that? It may be a mystery. But just keep in mind that nothing is impossible with God. If you'd like some additional help on your own journey of brokenness to wholeness and what that looks like, uh, please reach out to us. We'd love to help you take your next best step on this journey. And we're so glad that you've been with us. And uh, we trust that you'll have a good end to your year. And we pray that the new year starts well. And we look forward to seeing you back here again on the Pure Sex Radio program. Take care. Pure Sex Radio is paid for by Be Broken Ministries. Visit us online at puresexradio.com.